We will be studying both Psalm 110 and Matthew 22 and several other passages. And I'm not putting them on the board, the screen uh, today. Um, we're going to be leafing through our Bibles, the good old-fashioned way. And, um, and that's, so if you wanted to be prepared, the Matthew 22 passage that Bill read and the Psalm 110 are the two big ones that we're going to be looking at. Let's pray together. Our Father, we love you and we thank you and we turn to you now and we pray that you will help us. And as we just sang a song about Judgment Day coming, which almost sounds shocking in our generation, we just ask and pray that you will wake us up and shake us up. You will help us to know reality. You will help us to be prepared. You will help us to understand the words of Jesus. You will give us grace. You will work and move in the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord Jesus, you said when you return to earth, will there be anybody who believes? We, we determine, Lord, to be those people. Help us, we pray. Help us in the midst of an of a unbelieving generation. Uh, help us to be people of faith, people who truly believe. Give us grace, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Probably as a kid, uh, for those of us who are older here, you've heard uh, parents or teachers say to you, now take turns or give somebody else a turn, uh, which is kind of interesting because when I was actually thinking about this, I thought, where did that come from? Like, what does turn, like turn, have to do with letting somebody else on the swing after you're on the swing? And it turns out that as I, turns out, as I uh, did a internet search on that, Nobody really knows where that strange idiom came from to take a turn. They don't know. But anyway, we know what it means. It's your turn, so let them have a turn. Well, this passage, I've just in this sermon, I've just entitled, It's Jesus' Turn. And what I mean by that is, is that up to this point, Jesus has been severely tested and questioned ever since he's arrived in Jerusalem. To give you an idea back there, look with me to um, uh, chapter 21, for instance. That's the chapter of the entry into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry. And it says in verse 23, And now when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and, by what, and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And so once again, they're beginning to question him and, and test him and such. And then they determined to make that very much part of their strategy. Look at 2215. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. So here they're trying to, to question him in such a way that he gets caught up in his talk or he says something wrong or they can get him arrested by what he says. Very intense time. So 2217, here comes the question. Uh, tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And then, of course, we saw his answer to that. And then the Sadducees come forward. Look at 22:23. The same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him. And then they tell that ridiculous story of the seven uh, brothers who had the one wife. And then, after they fail, in 22:34, it says this. And when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? So question, 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 coming at Jesus. And he's answering each one of them, well, now it's Jesus' turn. Now it's Jesus' turn. 
So look at verse 41. And when the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them. Now Jesus is turning the tables on them, and he is asking them a question. And this is, and he actually asked them two questions at this point. Here's the first one, verse 42. Saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? So well, there we have these, these uh, two questions here. Uh, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? All right. Now, so whose son is the Christ? And they answer, look at verse uh, 42, and they said to him, the son of David. And that's actually a correct answer. Jesus is, I mean, the Messiah was to be the son of David. In fact, Matthew begins this book. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 says this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, or Jesus Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus was the son of David. He's called the son of David by those who believe in him. The Pharisees would never call him son of David. But he was called the son of David by the blind, the blind beggar, son of David. Even the Syrophoenician Canaanite woman, son of David. He was called the son of David. In fact, we have two genealogies of Jesus. One of, Math, one of uh, uh, Joseph and one uh, which would be a legal genealogy. And then a biological genealogy of Mary. And both of them have David. David in the genealogy. Jesus was a literal son of David and such. And so the idea was, is it, it comes from, from David, the life of David, where God promises David that there is going to be a son out of his loins, and that son was going to reign forever and have a forever kingdom. And so they were looking for the son of David. So that's clear. The Messiah was to be a son of David. But then Jesus asks another question that probes much more deeply into the theology of this. And he says this, verse 43. He said to them, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, and now he quotes Psalm 110, which, by the way, is the most quoted psalm, uh, the most quoted Bible passage in, of the Old Testament in all of the New Testament. It's the most frequently quoted. So he quotes the first verse of Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? So there's the there's, there's another, uh, another question there. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? Now, what is Jesus doing here? Well, first of all, let's just look at the text and see how, it, how Jesus is, what Jesus uh, is, how he handles the scripture. Notice what he says in verse 43. He said to them, how then does David in the spirit Call him Lord. Now, I don't know if you still have Psalm 110 marked, but if you do in your Bible, you may want to flip over that, and you'll see, now in the New King James that I have, it has Psalm 110 as the, as the title, and then under that, it has a small subscription, it's called, and it's just in really small words, it says a Psalm of David. And your Bibles may say this, that that's a subscription. Now, whether that was in the original book of Psalms or that was added later, uh, scholars argue that. But notice here, uh, that, that Jesus is ascribing this psalm to David. He is basically saying that subscription is accurate right there. This is a psalm of David. David wrote this psalm. Then notice also in verse 43 of Matthew uh, where Jesus says this, in the spirit, in the spirit. David wrote this psalm under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. All scripture is inspired of God, the Bible says. It is the Holy Spirit led holy men to write these things down. 
Jesus is acknowledging the authority and the power and the reality of the Holy Spirit as inspiring the Old Testament, inspiring David to write this down. So David is writing down this scripture as an inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And here, David calls his son Lord. And so then he quotes the scripture. Now, the scripture, if you go back in the original Hebrew, it goes something like this. That Yahweh said to Adonai, Yahweh said to Adonai, or the Lord said to my Lord. Both of those words, Yahweh, of course, is the, is the, the name that God revealed to Moses, the great I am and, and such. Adonai is the word Lord, but it is ascribed to God in the Old Testament. And oftentimes when your Old Testament, it'll translate Lord in the Old Testament or, or even God in the Old Testament in English, it'll translate Yahweh or Adonai as God or as Lord. And so here, th- Jesus is saying that what David is revealing is that the Lord said to my Lord, as it were, sit at my right hand. And till I make your enemies your footstool. This Lord that David is acknowledging as his Lord is sitting at the right hand of God, has the authority of God, has the majesty of God, is sitting right next to God and is ruling with God, is sharing God's glory. Imagine that you worked for a family-owned business and it was a relatively large business, okay? And everybody knew who the dad is who started the business and he was CEO of the business and one day he's walking through the factory he has his hard hat on and uh, and he is and everybody says oh that's president that's the president of the company that's the president of the company and then somebody says he just got hired he says well who's that with him who's that with him uh, walking alongside of him he says oh that's his son he's gonna he's gonna be heir of the whole company he's he's just as as powerful as the dad uh, he they run this thing together and that's what is being said here is that the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make all of your enemies your footstool, until I conquer the entire world. And then we're going to get into Psalm 110. Out of Zion is going to come this king, and he is going to rule over the entire world. So this, that's what's being said here. Let me give you three quotes, three sentences from different uh, uh, commentaries to help you kind of get a grasp of, of what's being said here. Martin, the first one comes from Martin Luther. Martin Luther wrote, sit, says God to him, sit, not at my feet, not over my head, but next to me, as high as I sit. But sitting next to God, what else is that than also being God? For God is so jealous for his own honor that as he said himself in Isaiah 42, 8, he will give it to no other. And yet here, says the psalmist, sits one who is like him. And from it follows that he must be God. William Hendrickson, in his commentary, wrote this. In this psalm, David is making the distinction between Yahweh, Jehovah, and Adonai. Yahweh, then, is addressing David's Adonai. Or, if one prefers, God is speaking to the mediator. He is promising the mediator such preeminence, power, authority, and majesty as would be proper only for one who, as to his person from all eternity, was, is, and now forever will be God. He's giving him this level of authority. 
And the only person who could have that kind of level of authority to be a co-ruler over all of reality would be God himself. Osborne, in his, in his commentary on Matthew, I love this line. He said this, no patriarch, let alone the king, would call his son my lord. No patriarch, let alone the king, would call his son my lord. It would be the other way around. But here, David is calling this coming one his lord. And so the Messiah, Jesus is teaching, is going to be both man, son of David, and God, son of God. And this is what is being revealed in the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 16, 16, Jesus says, Who do men say that I am? Oh, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, even Elijah. Who do you say I am? And Peter says in Matthew 16, 16, You are the Christ, the son of the living God. In John 1.1, John begins his gospel by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so this Word is both with God, beside God, next to God, near God, and yet is also God. And yet there's one God. <clears throat> At the end of John's, of John's gospel, uh, Thomas, who doubted and didn't see Jesus, now sees Jesus. Jesus tells him to touch the holes in his hand and in his side. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. He bows down before him and calls him Lord and God. And Jesus says, blessed are you who seeing you believe. Jesus is the perfect mediator between God and man, for he is fully man and fully God in one unique person. And he ascended from earth to heaven to the right hand of the glory of the Father. That's this idea. My Lord said to the, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make all of your enemies your footstool. <clears throat> now, let's trace this through the scriptures because that's exactly what happened. It's exactly what happened. Look at Matthew 26. Just flip over a few chapters to Matthew 26. Jesus is being tried. He's before the high priest. And they're questioning, throwing out all kinds of questions, and Jesus just doesn't even answer. He doesn't, he doesn't even participate in the trial up to this point. It says, verse 63, but Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, it is as you say. Yes, I am. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And at that point, the high priest just blew a gasket. He tore his clothes. He says, he's spoken blasphemy. How can he speak blasphemy and say that he's going to be the one who's going to sit at the right hand of the throne of God and that he is the Son of God and the Son of Man all in one and he's coming to judge? Because that's exactly what he said. That's exactly. Look at Acts chapter 2. You're in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Look in Acts chapter 2, the very first sermon that is being preached right after the Holy Spirit has been poured out. Peter is preaching. People are saying, these guys are drunk. Peter says, no, we're not drunk. This is the fulfillment of Joel, uh, that in the final days the Holy Spirit will be poured out. And we have a message for you. Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, has been, has been raised from the dead. And we have seen that. Look at verse 32. This Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. 
friends. We saw him. We touched him. We, if we had one of them thermo, uh, temperature gauges that you point to somebody's forehead, we could have pointed to his forehead and it said 97.6 or whatever. We, he was alive. He was here. He ate with us. We touched him. He showed us the holes. We knew it was him. We saw him. He raised from the dead and we were witnesses. We are witnesses of that. Verse 33, therefore being exalted, now he ascended into heaven, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured this out, which you now see and hear. That's what's going on, is that Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of the Father. The Father gave him the Holy Spirit and he poured out the Holy Spirit upon his church. That's what Pentecost is about. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, verse 34, and here he quotes Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they said, oh no, we're in trouble. What do we do now? Now look at Hebrews chapter 10. Now that's further back in the New Testament. If you're new to the New Testament, if you're using a pew Bible, we're at page 1380 right now. Hebrews chapter 10. Notice what's being said here. Again, we're just kind of tracing this idea of Jesus being exalted to the right hand and being both man and God and being in that position at the right hand of God. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, it says this, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, and in the New King James, that's capitalized. And I want you to pay attention to that. We're going to come back to that. This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. And from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. So obviously, Psalm 110 is behind all of that. Verse 14 for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Okay? Now, Jesus has, is now in the process. He has been exalted to the right hand of the Father. He is sitting there. He, is, he has all of the majesty and glory of being on the throne of God's grace, uh, throne of God with God. He has God. He is now conquering all of his enemies. All of the enemies of God are being conquered, as it were. That's what's happening here, okay? And then, eventually, Jesus is going to, as a man, judge the world. He's going to judge the world. And he is going to call all people to account, all right, and, and such. So that's what's going on here. That's what's being said here. Now turn back with me to Acts chapter 17. Christians believe some pretty audacious things. We really do. If we believe they're true, but they're really kind of shockingly uh, audacious, really, in some sense, what we're actually saying. In Acts chapter 17, Peter, uh, Paul is preaching to the Athenians in Athens. He is at the headquarters of Greek philosophy. And he's nearing the end of his sermon. He says this in verse 30. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. That was their idol worship and the stuff that they were doing. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. But now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness 
by the man, capital M, whom he has ordained, he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. At that point, half the, half the audience just freaks out and, uh, and that, but that's, that's for a later story. But notice here, God has appointed a day in which he is going to judge the world in righteousness, it's going to be righteous judgment, by the man whom he has ordained. And it's the same man that he has raised up from the dead. He's given you an assurance that this is going to happen through Jesus Christ's resurrection. And Jesus Christ is now going to judge the entire world. That's pretty audacious. But that's what we believe. That Jesus Christ is coming back to judge the world. The man, Jesus Christ. God, Jesus Christ. He is coming back to judge the world. See, Jesus is reigning now. And what he is doing is, the, his, is God's enemies are being brought in submission to God. Being brought and being conquered by God. And we are the first ones. We're the fruit of that. The gospel is going out. That's what's happening right now. The gospel is going out into all the world. And God's enemies are being subdued is what's happening right now. Look in Psalm 110 and notice what's being said there. Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send, out the, shall, shall send the rod, that's the scepter. The scepter of your strength shall come out of Zion and rule in the midst of your enemies. This, 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 uh, this one, this Lord that is to sit at God's right hand, he is to rule in the midst of his enemies with this mighty scepter. He is to be the king of the entire universe, of all that there is. And that's what the Bible teaches, that God has made Jesus Lord over everything, and he has made him heir of everything, and it is all his, and his enemies are going to be subdued. Now, part of that subduing of the enemies is through the gospel going forth. Repent. Repent, turn from your sins, come, believe, trust, make peace with God, be reconciled with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. Your people shall be volunteers. They shall willingly come. They shall come to serve you and love you in holiness, in the day of your power, in the beauties of holiness. From the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. These people are going out and they are coming. They are being subdued by their hearts being transformed, their hearts being changed. The rebellion of their hearts against God and, again, and, and, and their hearts in love with sin and in enmity against God are going to be transformed and changed by your power and by your gospel and become willing servants and followers of you. That's us. And we will have a forever priest. Look at verse 4. And God has sworn and will not relent. Here's another one of the most quoted verses of the New Testament. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. You are God. You are our priest. You are our forever priest. You are our high priest. You died for us. You love us. You care about us. We love you. We're committed to you. You've given us new hearts. We believe in you. You've saved us and redeemed us. We're yours. We're your volunteers. Take us. Use us. We bow down before you as Lord. We acknowledge you as the Lord and master of our lives. We give ourselves to you as a living sacrifice. We've been conquered. I've been conquered. I've been conquered by Jesus. He's my Lord. Todd is not Lord anymore. Todd is not God anymore. Todd doesn't call the shots anymore. My Lord calls the shots. I, 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 get his, I get his marching orders every day. I live for him. I think for him. I breathe for him. I want his, 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 his kingdom to grow. I want his kingdom to advance. I'm all about him. And man, that's not how I came out of my mama's womb. 
I came out of my mama's womb all about me. All about me. I was the most selfish, arrogant, self-centered little brat in the world. I had to have my dad grab me by the shirt and slam me against the garage door and tell me to quit being such an arrogant jerk. And he was right. I was. But Christ has subdued me. My dad couldn't subdue me, but Christ did. And that's, that's, we are those people. But notice this. Something more is going to happen. And look at verse 5. It starts to get violent, like really violent. Look at verse 5. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. Kings are going to be put to death. He shall judge among the nations. Nations. Nations are going to be judged. With their vast multitudes. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. This is power. This is vengeance. This is wrath. This is punishment. This is scary. This one has been placed in that position. Now, I want you to think about something. A man, a 30-year-old man, who up to that point in his life, before he started traveling and teaching and preaching, was a builder, a technon. We call him a carpenter, but he was a builder. He nailed nails in the hot Palestinian sun. He laid block. He built roofs. He was a builder. He was a Palestinian. He lived in Palestine, I mean by that. He was Jewish, but he lived in Palestine. He lived in the, in the hot Palestinian Galilee. He was a Galilean. He was a country bumpkin. And he worked with his hands and he sweat. And he was just a man. And yet he was God. And he was crucified and killed. And he rose again from the dead. And then God raised this Galilean builder, this contractor, this sawdust-filled, uh, clothes-filled contractor, as it were, this callous hand, tanned contractor, God raised him to the highest power that could ever be imagined, far above all principality, power, ruler, and name that can be named. He raised him, God raised him up higher than every Caesar, than every general, than every president, than every prime minister, than the United Nations. He raised him higher than the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He raised him higher than any archangel, archdevil, uh, higher than Michael, higher than Gabriel, higher than Satan, all the principalities and powers, all of the. He raised him higher and higher and higher and sat him right on the throne next to him, both as God and man, son of David, son of God, son of Mary, son of the highest. He sat there and he said, you will rule. I will put all of your enemies under your feet. You will inherit the earth and you will judge. And a day is coming when Jesus is going to judge. And he is going to do two things when he does that. He's going to make the past right. And he's going to make the future glorious. What do I mean by that? Jesus is going to judge the world. And every man, woman, boy, and girl will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account. Everybody, everybody, the whole world will be called in accountability toward him. Every king, every president, everybody. Now, a couple things about that. Number one, we will be judged by a man. 
Yes, he's God, but he's also man. And that two times, that Hebrews passage and that Acts passage, they said, God has raised up this man to judge the world. Capital M, man to judge the world. The focus there is on his humanity, son of man. Why is that important? Well, one of the reasons that's important is because people will have no excuses. See, people, they, they have excuses today. People say, hey, man, I'm just human. Hey, man, I'm just human. Hey, what can you expect? I'm just human. What, uh, you know, how could God expect anything from me? I'm just human. Well, you know, Jesus, first thing, first thing, the first person, probably be Adam, who's going to say, hey, man, I was just human. Jesus is going to say, me too. Me too. I'm as fully human as you are. I got hungry, I had to eat. I got tired, I had to sleep. I worked hard in the sun, I had to drink water, and I keep hydrated. I sweat. I saw a beautiful woman. I, my eye caught that, and I, and, 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 and I was impressed. People were my enemies, and they got mad at me. It was, I, 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 would, I would want to, to get back at them. I was tempted in every way that you were. But there's only one difference. He never sinned. But he was tempted in every way. In fact, you say, no, oh, Jesus, you know how hard it was. You know what it was like to be a man. I'm not God. You don't know what it was like to be a man. He said, I know exactly what it was like to be a man. Yeah, but I was tempted, Jesus. You don't know, man. I was tempted. You lived in Galilee. You know, I, I, saw, the, I saw the pictures. I saw the Sunday school lessons. It was all nice and happy and friendly. Man, it was rough. I was a rough neighborhood. He was from, God. He was from Nazareth. Anything good comes out of Nazareth, first of all. But secondly, you don't know the temptations. I know Jesus says, I knew them more than you ever knew them. You see, because as temptations came to me and to you, came to me and to you, came to me and to you, and they intensified, temptations intensified, guess what happened? You gave in. I didn't. And so the ten, they intensified and intensified and intensified and intensified, and I never gave in. I knew temptations more than you ever knew. I knew the temptation to sin more than you ever knew. I knew it, and I, you have no excuses before me. I'm judging you man to man. And you see, dear friends, every single person will be judged. All of the Pharisees who condemned him will stand before him and give an account. All of the soldiers who beat him. Think of the people who mocked him. Think of the ones who put the crown of thorns on his head. Think of the ones who beat him. Think of the ones who cried out, crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas. Think, of the, think about the moment they stand and say, oh, no. I'm being judged by Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, no. But not only that, dear friends, everybody, President Joseph Biden, is going to stand before Jesus Christ and give an account for all of his actions. And he's going to be held accountable for them. The Speaker of the House, that all of the senators, President Trump, President Obama, President Bush, all of the presidents of the 21st century are going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account. Every single general, every single Hollywood director, every single actor, every single person. So please do not give any credence to this stupid statement. I can say that word stupid because Mary Jane Scott's not here. She's in heaven in glory because she always told me never use that word. That stupid statement. You're on the wrong side of history. You're on the wrong side of history. That statement is absolutely meaningless and a myth. 
What that statement means is if you don't be involved in some kind of agenda that we all think is right now and, and people, history's going to look back on you and they're going to say you got stuck in the past, you couldn't progress, you weren't good, uh, history's going to look down on you. Dear friends, the collective opinion of all of the human beings in the world are not going to matter one whit when you're standing before the Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one opinion that is ever going to matter. It's his. There he is, son of man, son of God. I'm standing before him. I'm President Joseph Biden standing before him. I'm, I'm head of some institution, organization. I'm head of some multinational corporation that's trying to keep up with progressive things. I'm standing before him now. It could, I could care less what all of these other people who are watching think. I could care less. I say, oh, I don't care what he says. What do you all think? Am I, was I on the right side of history? I'm never going to worry about that. Joseph, uh, Joseph Biden is never going to think about that. Nobody is ever going to think about that. They're going to think, what does Jesus think? Oh, no, what does Jesus think? Because I'm just about, when we're done with this examination, I'm just about to find out whether I am going to spend eternity forever in heaven or in hell. I don't care what the Hollywood writers think back there. I don't care what the cool, hip people think back there. I don't care how many Facebook people think anything about it. I only care above what he thinks. And dear friends, President Biden, President Putin, President Trump, President Obama, they're not going to have secret service agents around them, and they're not going to feel important, and they're not going to feel powerful. They're going to feel absolutely vulnerable, trembling, weeping, asking for mercy, perhaps, before the Lord Jesus Christ is judge. And dear friends, complete justice will be done. He comes to judge in righteousness. Complete justice will be done. Don't ever worry about justice being done. In this world, many people are denied justice. Many injustices go unpunished. Many things go on, but it will never happen at the end of time. At the end of time, all of justice will be done. Think of the evil that has been done and has been, there's been nothing done against it. Think of children who have been abused. Children who have been abused by, by relatives or, or been abused by teachers or people in authority or priests or pastors or whatever and told, shut up, don't you tell anybody. Or by wicked people said, if you tell anybody, I'm going to murder you, I'm going to kill you, or I'm going to kill your family. And they had to live with that pain. Think of women. Women who have been abused and, and mistreated by, by men. Think of slaves who, who have been uh, in the American slavery, uh, uh, how, how many children came out biracial because their masters forced themselves upon them and there was nothing they could do about it. It's even happening today as, as, as girls in, in, in Muslim countries are being kidnapped and forced to marry uh, these men and, 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 and such Christian girls are being forced to marry Muslim men and for the rest of their lives. Think of people who have lied. Think of had, had things stolen, embezzled. Think of slanders that have gone forth. Think of judges that have been bribed. Think of justice denied. Think of murdered people. There's, there's, a, there's a lake in California, a reservoir, because of the drought that's starting, and they're finding bodies. There's like all these bodies, chains around them, concrete blocks on them, all these people. They're solving past murders. Think of the people who have been murdered, and, 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 and God says, the blood of these, of these people cry out to me. One day, all of it will be cleared up. All of it will be made just. 
If you have been unjustly treated, that will become clear in that day. But not only the evil, even the good that, is, that has not been seen. We tried to, we tried to, to, to in recognizing Amy here, we, we did some of that. People who quietly served, people who sacrificed, people who gave, people who cared for others, people who loved the Lord, people who suffered because of the, it's all going to be rewarded. It's all going to be seen. Faithfulness to the Savior is going to be there. I've seen, I've, at the end of large funerals here, I've walked through that kitchen and I've seen the flushed red faces of senior women who are in that place who have served for hours making sure that that funeral meal is done. And, and I thought, oh, their Savior is going to thank them for that at the end. That's going to be recognized. I've seen the exhaustion of Sunday school teachers coming out of a room with all these little kids all piped up and these older Sunday school teachers just exhausted. And I said, Christ is going to glorify. He's going to be glorified through that. And they're going to, they're going to see that. Alzheimer's spouses who live with and care for their spouse, even though their spouse doesn't even know who they are, and patiently loving and taking care of them. And dear Christian, here's the best news I think of all. The judge is Jesus. The judge will be your Jesus. The judge of the universe will be the one who does. You're going to stand on judgment day and seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. While the Father sits and waits and listens, as it were, while Jesus pronounces judgment, sorts out all of these things, determines people's eternal destiny, all of his enemies are under his feet, all of his enemies conquered. No one will ever say a bad word about Jesus on that day. No one will ever disbelieve in Jesus that day. But for you and I, the one sitting on that throne is our Jesus. He's our Jesus. That's the hymn we just sang from John Newton. The one who died for my sins is sitting right there. The one who left heaven and came and gave himself for my sins is sitting right there on the throne. There he is. And if I stand before him, when I stand before him, and sins are being brought to me, accusations could be made, Satan could be standing there accusing me of all of these sins, my judge is going to look at me and say, no, 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 no sins, no sins, not one sin. And Satan could be standing there saying, what do you possibly mean? This guy's Todd Joss, he sins like, just think of his thoughts, think of his mind, think of his arrogance, think of No, no, no sin, no sin. Why no sin? And all he does is hold up his hands. <laughs> he holds up his hands. And there's the scars. No sin. I paid for all of those sins. Those sins are well paid for by the blood of the Son of Man, Son of God. There's no sins. Justified, cleansed, forgiven, forgotten, paid for by this precious blood. The one sitting on the throne will be your savior. The one sitting on the throne will be your friend. The one sitting on the throne will be your shepherd who laid down his life for you. The one sitting on the throne will be your brother. How confident you would be going into a courtroom that your brother and best friend is the judge. And that's exactly what's going to happen on judgment day. It's a day of vindication for the Christian. It's a day of joy. It's a day finally people will get it and they'll see what I have seen and been laughed at and made fun of and been persecuted by. They'll see why I have dedicated my life 
to him. How many people told me I've wasted my life? I've had so many people in my life tell me, you've wasted your gift. You've wasted your life to just be a preacher when you could have been so much more. And I said, are you crazy? Wait till judgment day. I'll say, look, look at him. To serve him was worth a thousand lives. And that's what you and I should rest confident in. All of the injustice, all of the pain, all of the sin, all of the hurt, all will be made right, and the future will be glorious. I have a whole other section of the sermon. I don't have time to get to it. I'm just going to give you the, the, the summary. Paul said the present suffering of our days cannot be, cannot be compared with the glory that is going to come. And the Bible teaches that we as Christians should be filled with hope of what is coming. Jesus is coming to judge. He's coming to make the world right. He's coming to make a new heavens, a new earth. I will have a new body. And the Bible says that the present position of the Christian is groaning, groaning. And, 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 and the world, the creation is groaning, Romans 8 says, for, for that day because we will be revealed as the sons of God is groaning. And then Paul says, we groan within ourselves. And then Paul says in that same chapter that the Holy Spirit has been given to us and we groan with sighs too deep for words. And what is this groaning? It is that longing. It is that, oh, when is it going to come? It is that anticipation, that groaning. I've been groaning a lot just because I'm getting old and creaky and, cr and, 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 and sore. And I groan whenever I wake up every morning. I go to tie my shoes. But I've been trying to turn those groans into praise. I'm serious. I'm serious about this. Because the Bible says that this groaning is, oh, God, when? Oh, God, how long? Oh, God, I can't. And so when I find myself groaning to tie my shoe, I say, oh, God, I can't wait. Oh, God, please, that resurrected body. Oh, God, I know this is coming. It's kind of like the day before Christmas. It's kind of like the day before your birthday. It's that, oh, what, when is this going to happen? How long, Lord? How long? And dear friends, I want you to be filled with hope that it is coming. And so live in that tension of when, Lord, when? But I know it's coming. I know it's coming. And when you, when you, when you, when you read the newspaper, you, you see the headlines, and you see this crazy world turned upside down, and you see the values turned upside down, and you see the violence, and you see the depravity, and you see the suffering, and you see the pain, and our own hurts, and our own creakiness, and our own bodies decaying, and our own pressures, and our own trials, we should be still filled with hope. Oh, God, when? Oh, I know you're coming. Oh, Lord Jesus, come. Oh, Lord Jesus make everything right. Oh, I'm so glad a day is coming when you will make everything right. I don't even, I don't even recognize this world anymore. Men are women. Women are men. This is that. The bad is good. Good is bad. I don't recognize it anymore. But praise God, he's going to come and make it right. Praise God, a holy and righteous kingdom is coming. Praise God. Do you have this hope within you? Glorious beyond your wildest imagination. Be filled with hope, dear ones. Groan. Come, Lord. Come. How long? But it is coming. We trust you. If this world is all you have, I feel so sorry for you. And if you're afraid of judgment day coming because of this sermon, because you're not in Christ, good, you should be. I don't say that lightly. Good, you should be. Don't live in fear. Flee to Christ. Flee to Christ. And find in him your all in all. And judgment day will be a delight for you. Let's pray together.
Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son. And even though it was so horrible what he went through for us, thank you that you didn't leave him in the grave to rot. But you raised him up from the grave. And then you raised him up to the highest level of authority and you rewarded him. And thank you that we're actually there in him, in union with him now. Thank you that we're his. Thank you that we're saved by him. Thank you that you opened our eyes. Thank you that you gave us faith and a love for him. Thank you that by your grace, you have united us to him. Thank you that we will even share in judgment with him. Thank you that we are safe in Jesus. And that the one who's going to come to judge the world is our Savior. Thank you. Father, we just, we ache and we yearn. We look at this world and we look at the injustices. We look at the suffering. We look at the pain. We look at the lies. We think, oh God, what is going on? How much further can this descend? We just thank you that we know a day is coming when it will be made right. Thank you. And so we groan, how long, Lord, how long? But we can't wait. We just long for the day when that sky rips open and you come down. And Lord Jesus, in all of your glory, we will share in that glory. And you will come and make everything right and new again. We thank you and praise you for this hope. We glorify you and we humble ourselves before you in your precious name. Amen.